This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. When our recovering politicians panelists joined us on Tuesday, it was Libby's first conversation with them since the Ontario election the Thursday before. There is now an unusual situation with not one, but two of the main parties, the New Democrats and Liberals, going forward temporarily without leaders after both Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca resigned on the night of the election. This was also an election with historically low voter turnout. 43% of eligible Ontario residents cast ballots. And of those who did vote, 41% supported the Doug Ford PCs, which earned the premier another majority, effectively given to him by fewer than 18% of eligible Ontario voters. And while both the Liberals and New Democrats each received roughly 24% of the vote, the NDP remains the official opposition with 31 seats, while the Liberals still do not have official party status and just eight seats. Joining Libby to discuss, as they do every Tuesday, former NDP leader Howard Hampton, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader of the Federal Conservatives. It is a really big majority, and I think what it shows is that um, Ontarians picked the leader that they wanted to pick, and, and I say leader only because we lost two leaders on that same night. Um, the, the leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario, the leader of the New Democratic Party of Ontario both resigned, and I guess because they recognized that they didn't accomplish what they needed to do, which was to take even some seats away from the progressive conservative government, and and they were unable to do it. Uh, So the PCs should feel very good about themselves. However, they shouldn't rest on their laurels because, as you know, um, a dangerous liberal party is one that needs to fight back, and they're going to reassemble, and I'm sure they're going to be uh, very much a competitive force in the next time around in four years. Well, it's it's interesting that you cite the Liberals, which are down to eight, and which uh, Liberal insiders have char- characterized this election as a disaster, Charles. Yeah, it is. Um, a lot of apathy out there. Bottom line, Ontarians weren't buying what the Liberals and the NDP were selling. And the Conservative government put on uh, a strong showing, and they played it properly and stayed quiet most of the way through. Uh, to ensure that they held their base. And while the raw numbers of votes showed a stronger showing for the Liberals and the NDP, but the translation of seats obviously weren't there, and that's the first possible system that we have in Ontario. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a long road to recovery now. And frankly, for me, as a Liberal, I'm a centric, and uh, we're losing our way. And that, that was evident in this last election. Howard, was the problem a split of the so-called progressive vote? Well, that's part of it, but there's there's a lot more going on here. Um, Look, uh, the the fact of the matter is, in a first-past-the-post electoral system, which is what Ontario and Canada still have, 
you're very often going to get this kind of result. Uh, one party can get a very large majority of the seats, uh, even though they don't have a majority of the vote. Now, I, I think what really should trouble all of us is the low turnout. And because democracies don't work very well when most people don't vote. And I, I think part of what we need to look at here is we are not immune to what is going on in the United States, right? What, what is going on in the United States, and I personally, I think the United States is in very deep trouble. I would but, agree with you. But, but where, where a majority of people start to believe that voting doesn't matter, why should I vote? Uh, you know, why should I even take part? That is uh, whistling past the graveyard for democracy when that starts to happen. That is certainly happening in the United States, and I think we see some evidence that it's starting to happen here. Now, you know, why? Well, the world is not a, really a very good place right now. Uh, most ordinary people are struggling probably more than ever to try to make ends meet. I talked to all kinds of people when I was out canvassing who said, look, after I pay the hydro bill, after I pay the food bill, after I pay the gasoline bill so I can get to work and back, there's nothing left. And for a lot of people, that's where they're at. And I suspect many of those people didn't hear or see uh, anyone talking to them really in this election. Uh, they're, they're not focused on the issues that may hit us 12 years from now or 10 years from now. So I'm, I'm thinking about things like climate change. They're thinking about how do I pay the bills this month? Those people, I'm not sure they got an answer in the election, so they said, I'm not voting. I don't see anything here that interests me. I don't see anything that speaks to me. Former NDP leader Howard Hampton, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader of the Federal Conservatives, Fightback's Recovering Politicians Panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. Every Thursday, Fight Back addresses municipal issues when we tune into the town. Among the hot topics this week, revising active TO so Toronto residents still have an opportunity to exercise outdoors while not disrupting major arterial roadways. A new Toronto Seniors Housing Corporation, which will cater to the special needs of older Torontonians living in community housing. And a new pilot project at one city-owned long-term care home, which will focus on the social needs of individual residents. But first, Libby asked our panelists their thoughts on the previous week's provincial election and what it will mean to municipalities. Karen Stintz is a former Toronto City Councillor, mayoral candidate, and current CEO of Variety Village. Lauren O'Neill is Senior News Editor at Blog TO, and David Crombie is a former Toronto Mayor. It had to be one of the most, uh, I think, boring elections that, that I've, I've witnessed in a long time. And, and, and it seems to me that Olivia can probably criticize some of the electorate for not doing their duty. The fact is, I think that the 43% probably gauged what it was deserved. Uh, The idea that somehow you can get by with policy, simply calling it a buck a ride, all kind of gimmicky. You had the premier not bothering to actually pay a lot of attention to the, to the election. So for me, at any rate, uh, it, it seemed to me that it was an election that was both boring and lackluster 
and it deserved the percentage that it got. Karen, uh, did you have any surprises uh, with the result of the election? I, I have to say I was a little bit surprised. I There was you know a general sense that the Liberals wouldn't turn their popular vote into a, a majority of seats, but I was surprised to see that they um, didn't increase their seat count more than they did. And, uh, and I, was, I was actually quite surprised to see that Stephen Del Duca did not win his riding, uh, forcing him to, to resign and um, leading, leaving effectively the government with no opposition. And so that was, that was an outcome that I had not predicted. Lauren, what do you think? There's a lot of voter apathy right now. I think in terms of the provincial election, a lot of people, you know, advanced polls were showing that Ford would sweep it in a landslide. And a lot of people thought, why bother? Why bother voting? You know, we already know the outcome. And and yeah, I worry that we might see similar behavior ahead of the municipal election. But, you know, maybe it's also a chance to learn 43 percent voter turnout. That's really low. So hopefully the people of Toronto take some, you know, take a warning in that and. I, I'm not sure. I, I forgot to look up the level of turnout for municipal elections, but I don't... It's, it's typically very low. It's yeah, it's like very 30. low. So yeah. uh, to uh, a more local and uh, smaller issue, the city is rethinking active TO because of the congestion that it causes when they close down the lakeshore. Is that a good idea, David? Well, uh, I, I, I would have to be closer to very spe- very specific things, but there's no doubt that everybody who travels the city understands that there's a congestion problem. And so, therefore, uh, I, I know the city's already reviewing it. I'm looking forward to the recommendations because they need to move as quickly as they can. Karen, are, are they moving quickly enough on this? It, it, you know, it, it's just it's two-sided, you know, and I certainly understand it, and uh, the experience of congestion and how frustrating that can be. Um, but it was a bit of a gift to during... Uh, COVID to have the Bayview Extension opened up and Lakeshore opened up so that you can walk and bike and and get outside. But, you know, the city does need to be mindful that it's changing. We're changing again, and it needs to be responsive to that. And so if if that's one of the outcomes, then, uh, you know, personally speaking, because I I do go down and use the Lakeshore on my bike, then uh, that will be something I will miss. But, you know, I also understand that Living in a city has trade-offs, and sometimes you need to make these adjustments in order to, to keep the city moving. What are we looking at for the coming week, Karen? I, know, I think there'll be some interesting developments on the federal leadership campaign. Um, I, I think we're too soon yet to see what's going to happen with the uh, Liberal and NDP um, leadership. I, I, you know, there's some chatter about the merger. I don't think that will happen because they're, they're just too different in their outlooks and in their histories. Um, but, you know, it will be certainly interesting to, to watch it unfold. Lauren, I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds. Oh, well, um, I'm just looking forward to seeing if Active TO is in place this weekend. The city has not announced yet whether or not it will be. And I'm refreshing their website, like religiously, to see oh. because if they're going to get rid of the program, I am going to get my rollerblades on and go rollerblade along the lakeshore for one last <laughs> hurrah. Okay. <laughs> That was Libby's conversation with our Tune Into the Town panel. Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor, mayoral candidate, and current CEO of Variety Village. Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor at Blog TO, and David Crombie, a former mayor of Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, does your commute take you on one of the province's worst roads? We'll discuss next.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Maybe some of the roads you drive or ride your bike on are among the worst in the province. The CAA's annual list of the worst roads was released this past week. And of the top 10, or worst 10, four of them are in Toronto. Finch Avenue West, Eglinton Avenue East and West, and Lakeshore Boulevard East. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, Lakeshore Boulevard East is a mess right now as the east end of the Gardner is reconstructed. And the worst of the worst, according to the CAA, is Barton Street in Hamilton. Toronto Police Constable Sean Shapiro is with the Traffic Safety Program, and Teresa DeFelice is Assistant Vice President of Government and Community Relations for CAA South Central Ontario. They joined Libby to talk about the worst roads on Tuesday. The annual CAA Worst Roads campaign uh, launched uh, a few short months ago. And we give people a spread of time to actually go and nominate the roads that they are experiencing some frustration with. Okay, so uh, I don't know Barton Street in Hamilton. I certainly know Eglinton Avenue West, and and it's like uh, plus ça change. It's this, you know, I know people who are now betting if the construction on Eglinton uh, will happen in their lifetime. So I yeah, mean, well, I, it's it's been a, a lesson in patience for sure. Um, but of course, this is one of the biggest transit projects you know that has been undertaken in this country, uh, with a mix of tunneling and above ground, and a lot of different you know lane reductions. So it it has been challenging for sure. And some of the voters took to it, you know, because of poor road surface like potholes. But some of it has also been because of the congestion and largely as a result of of some of those construction points. Well, there are tons of construction points in Toronto. And on top of the potholes, Sean Shapiro, how much worse does it make it for drivers? Well, potholes, if people are, are, you can certainly uh, get some damage on your vehicle if they're really out of control. But uh, folks don't seem to understand that when you do speed or, uh, you know, hit these potholes while trying to perform other maneuvers, uh, it can change the way your vehicle handles it. And it could be unsafe, uh, which is why we want people to follow the speed limit and slow down. Teresa, are are some of the roads on this list, are they newly there or are most of them, you know, uh, repeat offenders? There are, there are some that are uh, repeat for sure. But as you mentioned in your intro, Lakeshore Boulevard East is new to the Ontario Top 10 list. Um, and, and while some of that is about road maintenance, uh, another major reason why people nominated Lakeshore Boulevard East is because uh, they feel that there needs to be better road signs and, and markings in navigating. That's also, you know, the location around where the Gardner East ramp has been taken down. So there's a lot of construction there, too. So a bit of an easy fix in terms of, of, you know, changing some signage to help people navigate the roadway there. That's not the only place where signage is a problem. I mean, there are a lot of places where it's very confusing if you're not familiar. How big a problem is that, Sean? 
Well, at the end of the day, uh, there are some intersections that, that could be plotted better. But, it, you know, if the driver isn't uh, familiar with it, unfortunately, they need to, to again, slow down and uh make efforts to do everything they're doing safely. Uh, I can understand that some things are unsafe. What happens, uh, what I see happening often, is people making last-minute changes of direction because uh, they just figured out they're going the wrong way or they have to make a turn. Uh, our advice is, is, you know, take a few moments, maybe uh, go to the next, the next block over, make a safe change of direction, uh, or go around the block. But the, it's the last-minute change when people aren't sure of where they are that causes a lot of issues. What are you hoping people take away from this? that the CA, annual CA Worst Roads campaign is a place to have a voice. It can be very difficult on your own to sort of escalate some of these issues. And, and you're in good company because people do want something done. And so by acting and engaging uh, with the campaign, uh, it's an opportunity to collectively uh, raise some attention to getting some of the roads in your community fixed. And John Shapiro, what would you like to leave us with? Every, every day on the road is an adventure, and uh, if you can pack the time and patience to get to your destination safely, it can be an enjoyable experience. It's when you start uh, you know, having expectations or giving yourself a short amount of time, that's when the stress goes up and we're more likely to see a, a collision situations. Toronto Police Constable Sean Shapiro with the Traffic Safety Program and Teresa DeFelice, Assistant Vice President of Government and Community Relations for CAA South Central Ontario. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There are some promising new resources for older seniors here in the city of Toronto. On Tuesday, Mayor John Tory launched the new Toronto Seniors Housing Corporation, which removes 83 city-owned seniors' buildings from the Toronto Community Housing Corporation. The goal is to provide the 15,000 low- and moderate-income older Toronto residents who live in these buildings with support through an integrated service model to enable them to age in place and enjoy a better quality of life. The announcement came a day after the mayor announced a pilot project at a city-owned nursing home to provide what is called emotion-centered care, something we've heard a lot about but we don't really see in practice. The project is called Care TO and will go on for a year at Lakeshore Lodge Long-Term Care Home before it's assessed, with the idea it will then be incorporated at the other city-owned long-term care homes. Libby spoke with Mayor John Tory about these new Ventures for Seniors when he joined Fight Back on Wednesday. You know, it's sort of modeled on what we used to do, and it's one of those things where you sometimes say to yourself, back to the future. Long before I was mayor, there was a separate kind of seniors housing division that looked after the housing we provide for seniors. As you mentioned, there's 83 buildings, 15,000 seniors call uh, Toronto Seniors Housing Home, and this is housing owned and operated by the city. Uh, and then sort of years later, again, before I was mayor, they kind of put it all together with the other Toronto community housing units, and it that didn't take account adequately uh, of the special needs that seniors have to be comfortable and dignified and be able to stay in the housing as long as they possibly can as opposed to being in some kind of long-term care. And so we've separated those buildings out. And you imagine when you say it took time, it took time to separate them out just legally to do the paperwork. Uh, we set up a modest corporate structure. It's not meant to replicate everything. And the whole idea behind it will be to work with other uh, partners, including the healthcare system in particular, to make sure that not just are we providing a home for those seniors, but that the home is one that takes into account the 
extra supports they need so that they can live longer, so that they can live a comfortable life uh, and, and, and remain independent for as long as possible. Is it going to be modeled, for instance, on what a uh, retirement home, which would be expensive and high end, is well, going to be run like that? You know, that? when you use the words expensive and high end, obviously, uh, you know, we have to be careful because these are homes that we own and they're not for profit and uh, so on. Uh, and, and a lot of the people that live in uh, Toronto Seniors Housing are people who actually are of modest means. And so uh, I will just tell you that what we're anxious to do is to establish uh, buildings for seniors that don't just have a home, uh, which is important, and that it's a home that's comfortable and well-kept, but also that we have supports available within those buildings so that people are not forced to go repeatedly to the emergency room so that they can be independent in their homes and get some counseling if they need it or other kinds of help that seniors uh, traditionally need. And so it's not trying to turn them into retirement residences. Those That's not what they are. Uh, but it is trying to say we're going to sort of try to enhance the support in these buildings so that uh, the people who are there can stay there and be healthy and be uh, in a comfortable existence. So it's, it's I guess, somewhere in between. So it would be something like having PSWs on site or having a doctor or nurse regularly visit. More the latter, like doctors, nurses, and service providers who may not be there, you know, 24 hours a day, but who will be regularly available in the building, uh, you know, so that uh, the seniors there, again, uh, feel supported, are supported, and, you know, can live as independent a life as possible within our housing buildings for as long as possible, as opposed to, you know, repeated visits to the emergency room or just not getting the help and then having their situation run down, their health and so on. So it's, yes, it's some of those kinds of things that would be available within the buildings as part of sort of a wraparound supportive approach that has to be done, by the way, not just by the Seniors Housing Corporation or the city, but also in conjunction in particular with the provincial government and the healthcare system. The province has been transforming the health system to these health teams. How do you make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, first of all, there's an ironclad, uh, you know, commitment not to replicate, uh, you know, sort of administrative structure. And so the, we've transferred some staff out of Toronto Community Housing, re- recognizing these 15,000 units are no longer their responsibility. Uh, and the uh, I said very clearly, including in the introductory remarks yesterday, that, you know, we're not looking to set up a sort of separate administrative bureaucratic structure. We're looking to take people who are used to dealing with our seniors to provide those wraparound services, a lot of those done in conjunction with the provincial government and existing healthcare infrastructure, but not to set up some big structure to deal with this. So I'm very, very cognizant of that. And it is something that I'm committed to seeing us do, uh, taking advantage of the resources that do exist in the healthcare system and using those for the benefit of the seniors that we uh, have the responsibility of housing. When do you expect this to actually roll out? Oh, it's, 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 it's in rolling out now. The announcement yesterday was really that it's in effect. The buildings have been transferred. The staff have been transferred. Uh, you know, they're, they're on the job now in these buildings with some things obviously still to be worked out. And in particular, the actual provision of the services across the board in all 83 buildings is still a work in progress. But the, the corporation exists now and the separate approach to wraparound supports for seniors in that housing exists today. Toronto Mayor John Tory in conversation with Libby on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. 
Fight Back with Libby Zneimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Bridget in Toronto phoned about road safety outside the city and whether CAA is tuned in to some of the issues. As someone who's um, now spending more time outside of Toronto, I'm always amazed at the speed that people go on country roads. So I had to travel between Buckhorn and Bob Cajun on the weekend. I think it's Highway 36. The speed limit was 80. I was going 90. They wanted to go 100. I can't tell you how many people passed me and wanted to go around me. So I guess, uh, are we ever going to be looking at those areas? Because I really found it quite dangerous. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is John in Peterborough, who phoned to say the way he would like to see the voting process change going forward. This system we use is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. When you look at the amount of the popular vote that Doug Ford got. I don't care which one of them gets it. And the amount of seats they get, it makes no mathematical sense. Now, here's the thing. Everyone pays taxes at the same rates for whatever they make. But they don't have the same say. If you vote in this province or in this country for other one, anyone other than the first two people that were in that vote, you should have stayed at home. Your vote never counted, and there's no one there will tell me different. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 416- Three six seven nine six three six. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.